November to kind of ask four questions, four questions that Jesus asked. Uh, and the hope of the series is that we would be asking these questions of ourselves, that we would uh, be answering for ourselves as disciples of Jesus these four questions. And so far, we've looked at uh, the famous question that Jesus poses to uh, Peter and the disciples of asking, who do, who do you say that I am? And so as Christians, we all need to respond to that question. What is our response to Jesus' question of who do you say that I am? And hopefully we respond with, Jesus, uh, with Peter in saying Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, or that he is the Messiah. And what we mean by that is, is that he is the one who is king, who came to establish his kingdom, and we are his servants, and we belong to his kingdom as his citizens. So that first sort of question posed to us is, is who do we say Jesus is? And understanding that he is the Messiah and Savior of the world and the leader of our life. And the second question is one that I think we need sort of on a daily occasion. Why are you afraid? Or what, what, is, uh, what is it that you're fearing? Or why do you doubt? Because it seems like every day is an opportunity for us to sort of ask that question. Is Jesus Lord and Savior and King today? Is he seated at the right hand of God or is he not? Because if, if this is true, then the question of what am I afraid of is really a question about control and trust. And do I believe Jesus to be truly who I say him to be? Is he in control or not? Do I trust in him? And so when we balance these two questions, who do, people, who do we say Jesus is, Lord and King? Why do we have doubts and fears when Jesus is Lord and King and Savior and in control? He's at the right hand of God. When we hold those in balance, then our, our discipleship grows, right? Our disciple starts, our own discipleship, our own journey with Jesus starts to take shape. And we realize, okay, I know Christ is king and that he's in control. Then that helps us navigate our sort of everyday lives of how do we function? How, how do we give? How do we care for our neighbor? How do we care for our family? How do I love my spouse? We can have our life grow in Christ when we hold these two, uh, these, uh, these two ideas and, and these questions in front of us. Jesus is king and he's in control. Today's question is uh, more than, so the first two questions are kind of like our getting through the gate. Like if we were, uh, if we were running a race, this is sort of like, uh, you know, the shot is fired and the race has started. When we say Jesus is Lord and King and I trust in him, that starts our journey. And today's question is kind of like uh, lap number, uh, number three on the mile race or more appropriately uh how long is a marathon i've never once considered that in my life is it 23 miles 26 26.2 okay so this question is the question where do you start puking and going to the bathroom like while you're running what mile is that is that 15 16 10 or it, me i puked at my at lap or mile one but uh you know, really grotesque imagery, but I just want to draw you in, right? You won't forget that one, but it's that mile marker where things start getting difficult, where the first two questions are us getting out of the gate and running the race. Today's question is, 
Why are you running? And will you give up? Will you hang on and will you trust in God no matter what happens? Today's question is the question about where we put our faith and trust, but not just who Jesus is and who we say him to be and why we shouldn't have fear and doubts, but the question of why. When we run the race of faith with Christ, if we don't have our, our why, we will give up. We look at uh, the importance of why in our daily life decisions. Why, why am I doing the work that I'm doing? Why do I uh, want to compete in this sport? Or why do I stay in my marriage? Or why? why? The question of why determines our grit and our perseverance through difficult circumstances and knowing our why. And Jesus' question today will help get at our why. And before we get to the question, I want to read through our text today. It's a little bit long. It's a familiar text, but I want to draw a couple of things out of it as we walk through John 6 together. Sometime after this, so John just uses that as a placeholder. John's not writing a chronological gospel. He's just saying, here's Jesus, let's believe in him. And so he uses sometime after this as a placeholder to say this is just a story about Jesus that we need to know and understand Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So Jesus is growing in his popularity. There are people who are coming to follow him because he is healing the sick. And if we were there, we probably would have said, holy cow, let's start following this guy because, you know, it was perhaps just good entertainment. What's Jesus going to do next? But it is also, if you were thinking about yourself in the ancient world, here is someone who is healing the ailments of the world. Here is someone who is genuinely helping people. In a world where there wasn't modernized medicine and there were a lot of you know, different sort of uh, understandings of why people were sick and how they became sick, there wasn't a sort of scientific understanding. There was just, here's a problem and we don't know how to fix it. And here's someone who is healing the brokenness in the world. There are people who are suffering and Jesus, Jesus is helping them. And so there's no wonder that people are seeing him healing the sick and they're also seeing these signs that he's performed and they want to know more. They want to know more about him. Then Jesus, and so what, what we would have seen, what they would have witnessed was Jesus providing bread for them and giving, uh, uh, feeding the thousands with a little bit of bread. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Then the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now John wants us to think about Passover. Passover is what we spent the last couple of months talking about, in essence. It's the story of Israel leaving Egypt, God calling them and rescuing them out. Passover is the celebration meal that every aspect of this meal remembers God's deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to them, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and they sat down. 
About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. This is the reason why we're preaching the text this morning. This is pre-Thanksgiving meal, right? You pray over it, you break the bread, and you just feed, and everybody gets what they want. That's the point of today's sermon. Eat as much food as you want. That's what I'm going to tell myself on Thursday. Wear the stretchy pants, right? You know, and praise God that there's like no normal pants anymore. Every pant is stretchy pants. Like they've just prepared us for Thanksgiving year-round. That's not in the notes. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. <coughs> so they gathered them and they filled their 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. So after Jesus has fed them, they are there. The talk has uh, has grown. They've seen the witness. Uh, they've witnessed other miracles and other healings, and now Jesus is providing for them bread, and He has made it multiply. They've had more than they're filled. They're looking at the abundance of it, and they say, "This is the prophet who is to come." And Jesus knows. And verse fifteen is one of those to underline because it helps us understand what John's sharing in this chapter. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So as Jesus' popularity is increasing, the signs and the wonders and the splendor of Jesus is growing, and the, the crowd is growing, Jesus is keenly aware of the hearts of the people who are ready to say, let's go make ourselves this Jesus our king. We will get the right guy in the right place who will do the right things, and he's going to look out for us. This echoes way back to when Israel said, give us a king, and they look for Saul, and here's, uh, here's this powerful man who's handsome and winsome and strong, and, and they say, give us a king like everyone else. And here they are again saying, here's a king who's going to do what we want, who's going to take care of all of our needs, and Jesus says, they're going to do this by force. And so Jesus he bypasses that. That's not how Jesus' kingdom is going to come into existence. We know Jesus' kingdom is not by force, but by his laying down his life, the opposite of the kingdoms of this world. And so uh, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, realized that, that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Well, the people are just trying to find Jesus. Like Jesus is like, nah, uh not having it. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to lay low and they keep pursuing. They keep trying to bring him into his kingdom in a way that he doesn't desire. And they're wanting something from him. They're wanting something from Jesus. 
And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. I satisfied your hunger. You had a hunger and I met it. You had a need, I met that need. You aren't following me for the right reasons. You're following me because I filled your tummy. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed a seal of approval. You've been working for this bread. You've been seeking me to have more of these things that you will just have to keep refilling yourself with. But if you would seek me as the Son of Man, if you would seek me, you would have food that lasts to eternal life. Eternal life in John's gospel. We don't hear him talk much about the kingdom of God, but I, the way I read the eternal life is I see Jesus inviting them into an eternal life into the kingdom of God. The, the terms are pretty much synonymous. I mean, it's not a perfect one for one, but the sense of having life in the kingdom of God is eternal life in Christ and his, and his life. So that where Matthew Mark, Luke and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk of the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, John speaks of eternal life. But it is all the same. that Jesus is inviting us to a life with him in his kingdom, a, a fulfilled life, a new creation, a new life. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Like, okay, so uh, you want us to do uh, the, the will of the Son of Man. Well, what is it? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. To believe in the one that he has sent. And when we use the word believe, we need to think faith. We need to think trust. We need to think allegiance. We need to think not just the idea of Jesus, but the confession of Jesus. That very first question that we ask of who do we say Jesus is? To confess Jesus as Lord is to say, well, I believe in you. I confess you as my king. I give my allegiance and devotion to him. The work of God is this, is to believe, to trust, and give our loyalty to Jesus Christ, to the one that he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then? So give us a sign, then you'll give, uh, then what sign will you give? that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they say, give us a sign. Give us something that we can uh, see as proof. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Give us this bread. I want this. I want bread that will nourish me through and through. Jesus declared, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those, that the, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. In John 10, he says that they would never be snatched from my hand. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me and give me your allegiances in life, 
in devotion. I am the bread of life. I will meet your needs. I will satisfy you through and through in a way not just physically but spiritually and completely. You would have life in him in the new creation. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, th is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? This is absurd. But stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. So he's talking back to, to uh, Exodus and Passover and after the Passover, and they're wandering in the wilderness. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And that this is the turning point. They are now wondering what in the world Jesus is talking about. And we, of course, know that Jesus will have his body broken for us, that he will give his flesh to us, that his body broken, his blood shed will be for our redemption, for our life. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? And this is adventures in missing the point, right? They have spiritual blinders on. They aren't understanding Christ. And when he is offering himself, it's not to sort of some sort of strange cannibalism, but it is an invitation to take on Christ and believe in him and trust in what he is doing. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless, and then he just doubles down. It's like, come on, Jesus. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Why does Jesus double down in 53 through 59, 58? Jesus could have offered a lot of clarity, but instead he doubles down on the severity of what he's saying. He doesn't soften it. He doesn't make it explicitly metaphorical and say, come on, guys, I'm going to die and my blood's going to be shed and we're going to have communion and bread and we're going to remember it this way and we're going to honor it. He doesn't do that. And so some of me thinks that Jesus is looking for a little bit of a shakedown. Are you in or are you out? There is going to be a journey in front of the disciples in which they have to know their why. Why are they pursuing Christ? Why are they walking with him? What is their desire? What is it that they are seeking? And Jesus is saying to them, so long as you are looking to make me king as by force, so long as this relationship is entirely built out of you getting from me what you want, this isn't going to work. 
your pursuit of me is about signs and wonders and you getting the satisfaction that you want. When he invites them to take and eat of his blood or drink his blood and eat his flesh, as strange and as weird as that sounds, it becomes this invitation to those who would confess Christ as Lord to say, yes, I want all of him. I am seeking him. I am choosing him. I believe and my allegiances are to him. My trust is in him. And it's this, it's this invitation from Christ, as strange as it is, that we would take on the ways of Jesus, that we would follow him and ingest him, his ways, his words. The word became flesh, John 1.14. This flesh is his word, it's his truth, it's who he is. And Jesus is saying, would we take Jesus in and find in him eternal life? Would we be with the Son of Man? And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, they said to him, does, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? There's a sign coming. There's something going to happen. I myself am going to ascend to the right hand of God. You will see me ascend to heaven. You've been looking for signs. You've been looking for wonders. You've been looking for all of, this thing, all of these things to benefit yourselves. But even that won't be enough proof for you. You always want more proof. And Jesus says, here's my flesh, and I've poured it out for you. It's been broken. It's been shed. It is for you. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you they are full of the Spirit and life, they, yet there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you who do not give devotion and allegiance and trust to Jesus Christ. Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And here's the hard part. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In a way, I think they maybe perhaps forgot their why, or maybe their why was made evident. Their why was, what's in it for me? Their why was, will this be the guy that will go and take, take power and take over, and he will be the guy that gives us what we want when we need it? And Jesus says, it's not going to be like that. You're just going to have to trust me. You're just going to have to know that I'm going to pour my life out, and that's going to be what you need. You're just going to have to trust that I'm going to ascend to the right hand of God, and that's, that's how it's going to be. It's not going to be through your power. It's going to be through what God does. You're going to have to trust. And this becomes the sort of question that sort of they <laughs> started murmuring among themselves and saying, am I willing to take the word of God? Am I willing to trust in Jesus? Am I willing to walk with him? Am I going to get from him what I want? And so then they depart. And here's the question that all of us have to ask uh, of ourselves, that Jesus is asking of you. 
looking at each and every one of his disciples and looking at us today, he asked the question, you do not want to leave too, do you? Do you want to leave? There's an open door, in, a, in essence. We can choose whether or not we will trust in Jesus or not. Just as we can answer the question, right or wrong, who do we say Jesus is, why are we afraid, there is also the freedom for you to answer this question and ask this question of yourself freely, do you also want to leave? Because that's will always be an available option for you as a Christian. Will you choose to stay? Will you choose to trust in God? Will you choose to walk with Him? Will you choose to join with Him in His mission and what He's doing? Or will you turn from Him? And it's a question we have to ask ourselves somewhat regularly. I don't know if you have to ask it every day, but we do need to ask ourselves, am I going to stick with it? Because let's be honest, there's sometimes it feels like we're on mile marker 22 and we just don't know that we're going to make it. And that we don't know if we can go one step further and say, I am in this and I'm in all the way. That there comes a point in all of our journeys where we start asking the question, is Jesus worth following? He hasn't given me what I've wanted. And this isn't how I thought his kingdom would work. And there's a little bit too much difficulty, there's a little too much suffering, there's a little bit too much sadness, there's too much grief, there's too much conflict in my family, there's too much conflict in my marriage, there's just things not going the way I thought that they were supposed to be. And so we have to ask her why. And Jesus asks, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter gives us his why. Why does Peter stick with Jesus? Why, does, why have they hung around with him? Why have the disciples stayed with him? And Peter gives his why. It's right there in our text. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where else would we go? Where do we go? You have the words to eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. And that has to be your Why? Because no other why will satisfy. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He is the gate. He is the goodness of all of creation. He is everything. He is the words of eternal life. He is the word of God made flesh. And for Peter, he knows his why, and his why will never let him give up, even when there's a moment next week for our next question. Or Peter maybe perhaps doubted a little too much. But we have all been there and we have to come and believe and trust and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that He is the answer, that He is the truth, that He is the way. And Jesus, He replies to him. He doesn't give him a kudos so much as, have I not chosen you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. It's like, that's not what I expected to hear, Jesus. But he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. And I think the reason why Jesus follows that up is to reiterate the sort of careful balance that is always there of the choice. Will you believe and trust in Christ or will you not? 
He says, this is a great answer, and you got it, Peter. Yet there are always going to be those who turn away. There will always be those who sort of wash their hands with me and they go in opposite direction. And this morning, as we reflect on this text, I want to simply call you to an understanding of repentance. Repentance. Every day is an opportunity to turn back to Christ. That every single one of our journeys has been filled with moments where we have perhaps thrown in the towel and said, you know, not today for me, Jesus. I don't know that I can keep going on. And what those people did in verse 66, when many went away from the Lord, that was the opposite of repentance, right? It's the opposite of it. It's this turning away from God. And today's message is in the encouragement to say, well, are you in or are you out? Do you want to leave or do you want to trust in him? And the way you trust him, the way you trust him, the way you come back, or maybe the way you start your life with him is by repentance. It's turning back to him. All of us have had doubts. All of us have had discouragements. All of us have felt the weight of the journey of following Christ. We have understand, understood the weightiness of Jesus being the bread of life, the living God. And we have wrestled right along with those disciples and wondering, can I keep going with them? And the way back is this. I'm sorry, God, and I'm turning back to you. I'm sorry for doubting. I'm sorry for not believing in you. I'm sorry that I have ignored your word in my life. I'm sorry that I have neglected your ways in my life, that I've treated people terribly. I'm, I'm sorry for how I've conducted what I've done. But God, I turn to you now. If you've never done that, please join him and believe in him. And if you have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and today's encouragement is just a simple reminder to you to ask the question of what is your why? The disciples were all over the map. They wanted Jesus to be a king that he wasn't planning on being. And they wanted from him, and he wanted to... They wanted Jesus to be their holy vending machine. Boop, 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 ooh, Cheetos. God doesn't work that way. He's not the king that we made him out to be. He's the king that we needed him to become. Not what we wanted, but what we needed. A selfless savior who pours out his life for us. I love Dallas Willard's uh, challenge in his book, The Great Omission. And he says there's a problem in Christianity today. It's called vampire Christianity. It's where we want the blood of Jesus, but we don't want the words of Jesus. And Jesus, in this passage, he combines it all. He's saying, you have to have my blood and my word to find eternal life. You need his forgiveness. You need his grace. And you also need his ways. And when you find those things together, when you find the connection, when you find that there is that commitment and intimacy with Christ, you have life in the kingdom of God. Would you turn to him and find life? Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess to you 
our sins and our brokenness and our incredible need for 